This is Cooper Cup, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the rosterwatch.com tradecast, the inaugural episode of the 2020 rosterwatch.com tradecast. This is where we will analyze the fantasy football trade market every week of the season. My name's Byron Lambert. Of course, I hope that each and every one of you are doing well, staying safe, healthy, happy out there. Great to have football back. Great to have fantasy football back. And this is guaranteed to be one hell of a season. I mean, drafts have already been destroyed. It's been a demolition derby on the injury front. And this is only going to highlight the importance of in-season management this year. If we want to win our leagues, I think many of us have known for a long time that our drafts are only a portion of our success in our fantasy football leagues. And that more importantly, in-season management uh, is, is critical. And I think this year more than ever, that's going to definitely be the case. And look, there's two principal tools at your disposal for in-season management during the season. It's your waiver wire and your trade market in your league. Most folks use their waiver wire regularly, but a lot of people neglect the trade market in their league. And that's for a variety of reasons. And they also don't when they do trade, oftentimes they don't use optimal strategy. So that's what we'll be here for every week is to help distill all that. We'll talk advanced strategy. We'll talk general strategy. We'll help uh, give you some trade targets every week, ideas of how to put certain trades together. Um, I think it'll be uh, very, very informative for you guys. And, you know, of course, the other thing we'll talk about is this synergy between the trade market and the waiver wire in your league because there is a very intimate connection, uh, one that we'll talk about uh, here often. But first, let's begin with uh, general early season strategy and trade dogma. And look, the main objective early in the season, really for a large portion of the season, is to accumulate the most player equity possible across our entire roster. And what does that mean? That means making an all-star starting lineup and creating an all-star bench. You want a bench full of starters, uh, in theory, uh, as we get towards the end of the year. And why do we need to do this? Well, this fantasy football season is a long one, and it's chock full of attrition in a regular year. And, I mean, you can already see it's only going to be worse this year. So the only way to fade the attrition of the season is by having a quality bench. Quality bench guys that if you get in a pinch, you can play and you can still win. And these are also guys that you can package up and you can trade for better players over the course of the season. The better the bench players you have, the better the trades uh, you're going to be able to make. The um, higher, uh, you know, higher quality the players that you'll be able to obtain, which is the key here, is you want to have the best starting roster. Uh, possible at the end of the season. We'll talk about that as we kind of switch gears uh, in our trade strategy as the season progresses. But right now our focus, you know, we're always going to keep an eye on our starting roster, but right now our focus is building the most player equity uh, across our roster uh, that we can. And a great way to do that, the best way to do that, 
is through the consolidation trade. This is where we'll take two players who are maybe, in our opinion, overperforming, and we will package them up and send them to another owner in our league for one player that we view as better uh, on another tier, on another, on another level in return, thereby clearing a roster spot. I mean, you guys know how often it is that you want to make an important or critical waiver wire pickup. I mean, guys that can change your season, guys that do change your season, and you simply can't do it because you don't have the space on your bench. And see, that's just such a limiting factor. You're, that's really slowing down your ability to improve your team on a weekly basis if you can't do that. So in theory, you'd be working the trade market frequently to always – uh, continue opening a space, an extra space at the bottom of your roster that you can just continue to fill with the next waiver wire guy. I mean, you know us at Roster Watch. Um, we also view the waiver wire with the utmost importance. And, you know, we're constantly cultivating and farming uh, uh, talent from the waiver wire. Oftentimes, guys who are totally under the radar. Um, and we're able to get for really cheap off of waivers that over the course of the season are going to become very, very important players. Those are the guys we have to continue to add to our rosters. Those are guys we have to continue to flip in trades uh, in order to maximize that player equity across our roster. This will also give us the prerequisite depth that we need to successfully navigate the season. We do consolidation trades when we're buying, when our teams are performing well, when we're operating from a position of strength. It's the number one mandate on the trade market throughout the season. Is I'm going to challenge each and every one of you to engage as, as many consolidation trades as you possibly can this season to constantly upgrade your roster and to constantly clear a waiver spot for that next ever so important waiver pickup. I'm going to challenge you. That is should be your objective this season is to make as many consolidation trades as possible to bring the best player back in the deal to your team. And that is going to be a winning strategy if you combine that with working the waiver wire. Now, of course, not every team has gotten off to a fast start or is operating from a position of strength. Maybe they've gotten hit with injuries or slow performance or Maybe their draft went a bit awry, and uh, of course, uh, you know that brings uh, to the forefront the other type of trade, the other type, principal type of trade that uh, we'll discuss today. Um, that you'll most commonly either contemplate yourself or um, you know receive in your own inbox, and that's the very opposite of the consolidation trade. That's the liquidation trade. That's when you're on the other the other side. That's when you're on the opposite side. Uh, that is. When you're selling, and that's when you're selling one good player for a couple of players uh, in return. We do liquidation trades when we're selling. We do liquidation trades maybe when we're underperforming a little bit. We primarily do liquidation trades when we are trying to fill out a more competitive starting roster. That is the number one aspect that you need to keep in mind when you're considering going down that path. If you're thinking about selling high on one player to get a couple players in return, the main reason, the only reason to do that in most circumstances is to justify that. The only reason, the only way this makes sense is if you are bringing 
multiple players back that you can start and that are going to improve uh, your starting roster. Now, of course, we don't want to do too many liquidation trades over the course of the season if we don't have to, but uh, the objective is to get on the right side of this and uh, we'll certainly do it you know, when we need to because sometimes it's a good time to sell high on certain players of that. Just remember, when you move a marquee player, you need to get two starters in return, two good starters in return. A few other things to keep in mind here before we get started. You know, there's a difference between just trading to trade. You want to have an objective in mind. You need to know when to buy. You need to know when to sell. You need to know how to create leverage. Always have walkaway power. And never, ever trade with chicken littles. Ladies and gentlemen, here are my top 10 trade targets on the week three fantasy football trade market. We will begin with Mark Ingram of the Baltimore Ravens. This is going to be one of the top sells of the week. Uh, Double-digit fantasy points in week two for Mark Ingram. Uh, he's the kind of guy that you want to try to sell him while you can. Anytime uh, that opportunity is ripe, uh, you really want to see if you can make that happen. Uh, you know, it was a good bottom line in the fantasy box score last week for Mark Ingram, which is you know what a lot of folks are looking at out there, but... Clearly, clearly from what we've seen, Mark Ingram is going to be a thin play all season. I mean, this is a three-way committee. Uh, Ingram's already showing how reliant he's going to be on scoring touchdowns. I mean, he's a 39% snap count, 10 touch a game, one and a half target per game guy through two weeks. I mean, that's just not going to... Uh, cut the cake, and it's not just the rookie J.K. Dobbins, as I've said repeatedly, uh, having been to Ravens training camp in the past. I mean, that team likes Gus Edwards. Uh, he's actually a pretty good player, a pretty nice player. Um, I also think in some ways this could make J.K. Dobbins a little bit of a buy low on the other side. I'm seeing J.K. Dobbins' name being tossed around as nothing more than like a throw-in in some trades that are being proposed or discussed on the site over at rosterwatch.com. Um, I don't know that that's going to be the case in your league. I mean, that's another thing to, to remember is you always need to look at the circumstances in your league. I know you get to know um, the different owners in your league. You need to consider the other owner's circumstance of their team when you're thinking about crafting uh, a deal for them. But in a situation where J.K. Dobbins is just being tossed around as some kind of throw-in in a trade in your league right now, I actually think he's kind of on the opposite side of Mark Ingram, where if that's the case, he could be uh, a bit of a buy low and actually could be a really nice zero running back stash at the bottom of your bench uh, if somebody's going to give him to you. But nonetheless, if you're a Mark Ingram owner, uh, you're a one of your primary objectives should always be to try to uh, sell high on Mark Ingram when you can, when the time is ripe, and certainly coming off the double-digit performance in week two, this is a good time to try to go ahead and shop Mark Ingram, get him off your team, get this headache off your team early in the season, and see if you can consolidate Mark Ingram with another player and move up uh, for one player that you like better in return. You want to sell Mark Ingram while you can. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a glimpse of a big liquidation trade here. This might sound counterintuitive coming off the monster performance, but Nick Chubb, he's a great candidate 
to be a sell if you were looking to liquidate a premium player in your league in order to fill out a more complete and competitive uh, starting roster. And this is why Nick Chubb is a candidate. Uh, to be a sell, really a sell high in your league right now, averaging a 55% snap count through the first two weeks of the season and only one target per game for Nick Chubb. And listen, over the years, we've seen that a true RB1 is a guy that you really want to see greater than a 70% snap count for. I know we're seeing more split backfields, and we might just see diminished overall performance at the top of the running back class this year. Um, But historically speaking, 55% snap count's not really going to get it done. And look, this was one of our concerns preseason. Obviously, Kareem Hunt is a very good player, and the team is committing to him uh, to get involved. But, you know, I think that when you see 55% snap count for Nick Chubb on one target a game through the first two weeks, that definitely some of the pre-draft concerns still exist around Chubb, even coming off, you know, the big, big performance last week that was um, – and that I think is going to kind of mask the underlying numbers, that along with just his name value might mask some of these underlying numbers that really corroborate some of our concerns from the preseason and represent concern, uh, you know, moving forward. I mean, that you just, you, depending on somebody who's going to be as, you know, potentially very, very touchdown dependent uh, is always going to be a scary problem. Nick Chubb, a 40% touchdown dependency rate through two weeks in standard leagues. Uh, you know, generally, we really, really don't like to see that number creep above 35%. So not a major outlier yet, but just another indicator uh, that Nick Chubb, as counterintuitive or maybe scary as it sounds to sell an elite player like that, um, actually could be. Now, I think you can flip that discussion on its head a little bit because, you know, when you've had guys like Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley go out. It, it it could be that this does drive um, Nick Chubb's value up just based on the fact that there's a you know a deficit of high end running back supply currently. So on one hand, I actually think that helps you sell even higher on Nick Chubb. But on the other hand, it could make you a little bit more tentative to deal him just because running back is so thin at the top this year. And even if he's not putting up all the numbers we'd like to see in the end, he could still be obviously a pretty formidable asset that said these are alarming numbers for Nick Chubb 55% snap count one target per game 40% touchdown dependency I mean clearly a split backfield with Hunt I mean although Chubb is definitely the the lead guy there I mean anybody with two eyes can see how good uh, Kareem Hunt looks and you know you've got to be concerned about the quality of the Browns offense too I mean this doesn't look like a good offense I mean they're clearly the best uh, version of themselves when they get to play kind of like gra- ground and pound style, like we saw last week at, at home against the Bengals. But like we saw, you know, in negative game scripts in week one against the Ravens, that's a, that's a bad situation, especially for Nick Chubb. And you know, I don't think that this is necessarily, they're in a tough division. This is not a good enough team to really expect they're going to get to deploy uh, uh, their ground and pound uh, you know, all the time, you know, I, I, the way I look at this with Nick Chubb is he's definitely not a must sell. Um, but if I'm looking to sell high or if I'm looking to liquidate one player for two starters in return, because I need to fill out a more competitive starting roster, maybe I have some holes due to injuries or just a slow start or misdrafting or, or not whatnot. I, you know, the flip side of the Christian McCaffrey Barkley thing is, um, 
those owners could be desperate. You know, that's another thing that could drive not just the general market running back market at the top, but literally those two owners in your league could be panicked and desperate right now. I mean, if you have an O and two owner in your league who is a Barkley or Christian McCaffrey owner, and you have an interest in selling Nick Chubb for one reason or another that I've outlined, I think those are the ideal owners to approach with Nick Chubb. Go to the Christian McCaffrey owner. Go to the Saquon Barkley owner. Try to get a King's Ransom for Chubb. Get two really, really good players uh, in return. Hopefully players that you think you're buying low on uh, You know, in return. Two good starters. But, of course, Nick Chubb, fine to keep if necessary. Uh, guys, I think it's also worth mentioning that some people might try to argue that Aaron Jones also belongs in this same bucket with Nick Chubb. I mean, he's he's producing at one of the highest points per touch in the league right now. We know hyper-efficiency is kind of obviously difficult to maintain uh, over the long term. Uh, Aaron Jones coming off a 44-point fantasy monster and half-point PPR this last week. But, look, nearly a 45% touchdown-dependent player in standard formats, um, averaging only a 51% snap count, even lower than Nick Chubb. Um, So I think statistically there could be some truth to those who might want to argue that Aaron Jones could belong in this same category. However, for me personally, I just trust the offense more with Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers looks really good. I think this offensive line is really good in Green Bay. And I think the key difference, too, is that Aaron Jones is getting seven targets a game right now. Nick Chubb is only going is only is is only getting one. And not only does that make a big difference in PPR, but as we've learned as you know fantasy football analytics have gotten smarter over the years, this also represents just far more opportunity um, for a running back that's getting the receptions as well, because receptions on average return more fantasy points than carries do. So I, I think there's a good chance that Aaron Jones may just in the end be a bona fide touchdown score on a pretty good offense based on 19 touchdowns last year and a whole boatload of them uh, right out of the box this season. Uh, you know, that said, if you're one of these guys that does think Aaron Jones maybe belongs in that same category with Nick Chubb as a sell high here, um, again, I think going to a desperate Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey owner uh, and asking for the house right now uh, is, uh, would be the way to do that. Um, this would likely only be a liquidation trade though. Again, guys, if you absolutely had to improve your starting roster because you've got some holes and you're underperforming. Otherwise, um, again, I would probably hold on to Aaron Jones. Next up, you won't even believe it. One Mr. Robbie Anderson, Holy cow, holy mackerel, a top five wide receiver in all of fantasy in any format through the first two weeks of the season. Um, he's had an absolute you know, boatload of targets. Uh, I think it was 11 targets last week and eight or nine the week before. Yes, actually 18 targets to be exact through the first two weeks, 224 yards. And a touchdown for Robbie Anderson. I mean, he's not a must-sell because I think that uh, Robbie Anderson may actually be like, especially minus Christian McCaffrey, could could just be a bona fide piece of this Matt Rule, Teddy Bridgewater offense. And that's why I designate him really as a sell high here, not just a sell. You don't want to sell just a sell. You want to sell high. 
on a guy like Robbie Anderson if you have a need or an interest in moving him. Not a must sell. But uh, look, guys, I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, we're talking about Robbie Anderson here, a talented player. But I think anytime Robbie Anderson is performing as a top five fantasy wide receiver that simply by definition um, he's considered – he should be considered a sell high and – um, it's at, wor- at least worth having a look. Maybe, you know, what could you flip? Robbie Anderson, another good player uh, for in your league. That could be a very, very important trade. The other thing to keep in mind with Robbie Anderson is that he has an absolutely terrible matchup at the Chargers this week. It's one of the worst in all of fantasy football. And I think the other sneaky thing is um, we have seen a declining snap count for Robbie Anderson from week one to week two. We'll see what that does this week. Um, but I think that kind of belies the numbers and the targets, which is what most people are going to look at. But uh, the sharp players are always looking at snap counts because that can be indicative of uh, opportunity. The next two players I'm going to talk about this week are guys I've kind of gone uh, back and forth on as I analyze their relevance uh, to the trade market uh, this week. And I've kind of flipped back and forth on whether they are buys or whether they are sells. So let's go ahead and uh, kick this one off with Joe Mixon, um, who I've only designated here as a buy super low, and this is really important. You know, I think Joe Mixon, one of the guys hurting a lot of the teams to begin the season. I think there's a lot of 0-2 Joe Mixon teams out there with you know reason to be concerned. It hasn't looked good, especially that offensive line is very, very scary. You know, but it, pretty obviously, especially once again in a situation where health is what's going to prevail right now, um, especially among the running back position. Uh, you know, Joe Mixon pretty clearly kind of is, comes into focus as seemingly an obvious buy low, right? Like in the end, you're still like, this is Joe Mixon. If I could buy him low enough, he's getting 20 touches per game. Uh, he hasn't found the end zone yet. This is Joe Burrow. Like this offense should improve. Think back to Zach Taylor with the Rams and you know, they didn't they, – they made uh, uh, plenty of hay with Todd Gurley there behind a, a suboptimal offensive line for a couple of years. So, you know, you think why can't they do that with Joe Mixon? And something tells me that when it's all said and done this year, if he's able to stay healthy, that like you'll look back and say, oh, the numbers were just – were pretty good. They were just fine uh, for Mixon, you know, on the whole. But it's certainly been a rough, uh, rocky ride here at the beginning and – um, I'm concerned that there's maybe not as much uh, relief in sight as you might hope for because when I look at Joe Mixon's schedule, when I analyze his schedule preparing for this, um, Joe Mixon only has three top 10 fantasy running back matchups uh, rest of season based on our current uh, matchup ratings at rosterwatch.com on the matchup tool over at rosterwatch.com. If you look at Joe Mixon's schedule from now through the end of the season, he's only got three top 10 fantasy matchups. So, I mean, that only compounds the issue. So that made me start to think, well, may, wait a second. Is Joe Mixon, maybe he's a sell. I'm like, well, I mean, I just don't think you can sell him right now. I mean, if you sell him, you're just, you're going to get peanuts on the dollar. And, I, you know, I'm just not sure that that makes sense. So where I landed on Joe Mixon, he's a buy. But he's a buy only super low because this schedule is definitely uh, going to be treacherous for Joe Mixon. And uh, the reason I say this, he has a top 10 matchup in week four against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's a home game for Joe Mixon. Um, And then we don't get another 
top 10 matchup until week 13 at Miami and then at week 16 in Houston. So, I mean, your season could be over by then. So I would certainly recommend that you proceed with caution um, with Joe Mixon on the trade market this week. Which brings me to our guy next, uh, the rookie out of Illinois, um, James Robinson, a guy that we were really excited to see at Jaguars training camp. Um, we told you that he was getting a surprising amount of action from camp this offseason and that actually James Robinson had a pretty good chance of making the roster. Of course, we were out in front on the Leonard Fournette uh, news um, reporting uh, from Jaguars camp that uh, we were very, very concerned that something was up with Fournette. And, uh, he was only traded there uh, days after that. And that really opened the door for James Robinson, a player that clearly they've They've liked there in Jacksonville, so let's get him up here. I mean, this is our guy. He's been a heck of a heck heck of a pickup so far uh, this season. If you own him, and you know, look, he's an undrafted free agent, so you know, obviously there's still some concerns out there. It's the Jacksonville, you know, Jaguars for Pete's sake. But I've seen James Robinson's name being tossed around for some big time players in trade. Uh, discussions and trade proposals over at rosterwatch.com. So I started to think, well, wait a second, you know, James Robinson, a nice, nice player. Uh, but in the end of the day, he is an undrafted free agent. Um, and guys like this have historically a very, very small chance of um, any type of long lasting success in the NFL. And it's just difficult to believe that this Jacksonville backfield still doesn't have the whiff of a committee. Um, some type of committee at some point this season. Look, though, 18 touches per game on a better team than a lot of folks expected. I mean, we told you guys the Jaguars didn't look like they were going to be the worst team in the league from camp. I mean, it's I've seen definitely seen many worse teams than that at training camp before. So, you know, we got a better than expected Jaguars team. Robinson is a solid player, you know, albeit undrafted. You know, I have concerns about his juice over the long term, but 18 touches per game, 59.9% snap count, basically a 60% snap count. I mean, that did decline significantly from week one to week two, because in week two, we saw Chris Thompson, who inexplicably was not involved at all in week one. He did get a 41% snap count this last week, which I think was way more in line with preseason uh, expectations and, uh, you know, what we saw at training camp. So, you know, that said, people are looking at the bottom line production, so it's hard to argue that James Robinson's you know, snap count went down, but his production went up. Still, we know that we need to keep an eye on those underlying numbers. And again, I, I just think there's a, there's a whiff of a committee here in Jacksonville. Over the long haul, uh, James Robinson averaging two and a half targets per game. Uh, that got a little bit of a bump you know, last, this last week. And Look, I think he may have a hold on the job at this point, clearly. But those other guys, Armstead and Azigbo, are going to come back soon. And we'll just have to see. So just based on the fact that I'm seeing James Robinson, a guy who was basically like drafted and, you know, undrafted free agent in real life and basically an undrafted free agent in most fantasy leagues. Not not that that's indicative of anything. I mean, once once we don't we don't once we don't care, it doesn't we could throw all that out the window once we know. Uh, get a real value on a player uh, during the course of the season. But that said, I just think when the logic prevails that James Robinson is somehow getting tossed around in some deals to uh, bring back a big name player, I just think in principle uh, that you're, you're going to have to consider it. So you look, 
at first I was going to designate James Robinson as like a sell high and not a must sell, but a sell high and a guy that you could consolidate to move up uh, to a better player at this point, the way that we want to do uh, so frequently on the trade market this season. That said, as I dug into these numbers, I mean, the 18 touches per game were nice for James Robinson, but the thing that was even nicer is James Robinson's schedule over the next four weeks. He faces four top 10 matchup over the next four weeks. It's an absolute monster upcoming schedule for James Robinson. So I changed my mind. I said, you know what, James Robinson, you know, he's obviously not a buy low because people are, you know, He's he's performed and he's kind of got a hold on that job, but I don't think everybody's sold uh, clearly based on the fact that his name's getting tossed around frequently in trade discussions right now. And I think there's a chance uh, that maybe he could still be undervalued in your league. And if that's the case, especially if I'm doing a liquidation trade, I'm trying to bring back a guy who can help me right now. Um, I think James Robinson is a short-term buy, and you might be able to get his value up enough that you can, once you start to get nervous, if if we start to get nervous uh, that some kind of committee is on the precipice of developing, we can look to to flip James Robinson later in the season. But you know, once I looked at that schedule, I said, you know what, James Robinson, he if he can, he's he's a guy who can help you right now. So he actually may be a short-term buy, given given how much I'm seeing his name being tossed around right now. Again, James Robinson, he gets the Miami Dolphins this week, the Bengals next week, the Houston Texans the week after that, and then the Detroit Lions the week after that. That'll be uh, right before his bye week. So he's got, again, four top ten matchups this next month for James Robinson before he heads into that bye. I think that bye, somewhere around that bye will be a natural decision point uh, that we can revisit what to do with James Robinson again. But I, I, I would certainly say with that kind of upcoming schedule and with the usage we're seeing, um, I, 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 I think we stay, I think we stick with James Robinson right now. Okay, here we go. Our favorite part of this show. And this is where we get to my favorite buys of the week. And let's just come out of the gate hot right here. Uh, there's no way to do it bigger. There's no way to do it better than with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, a top three to five player in all of fantasy. And I'd actually make the argument that the injury to Barkley and Christian McCaffrey, even though that doesn't necessarily have a direct bearing on the quarterback position, I actually think that those two guys going down makes Patrick Mahomes more valuable because those are a couple of the other guys that live in that top five um, status, fantasy status. So they're, they're off the board now. Like Pete, Especially the skilled players are getting hurt so much. Much I just think an elite quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, is the Peyton Manning of this day and age in our fantasy leagues. Um, there's no – I'll go down guns a-blazing with Patrick Mahomes. There's no player I'd rather hitch my wagon to. Andy Reid has always told us that he wants to run the Texas Tech version of uh, his offense in the NFL with Patrick Mahomes. And I truly think this is the season. Maybe it's been a little bit of a slow start, but I think this is a season where we're going to see that happen. Um it just it makes too much sense given given the backfield that they have this year in Kansas City and just given I think the style of play that'll prevail in this kind of wacky year where there was an abbreviated offseason. I just think it's a real advantage to guys like Patrick Mahomes. And so, you know, it's rare that you get the opportunity to ever buy low on Mahomes. But based on what I'm seeing um on the site and on Twitter and everywhere else, like Patrick Mahomes is definitely a guy that could be in play in your league right now and one that I would absolutely recommend 
If you can buy low on Patrick Mahomes, uh, you do it, and you do it this week. Because his owners are now freaking out that he plays Baltimore on the road. But they may not be paying attention to the fact that Vegas has this listed as one of the highest game totals of the week. It's still a little bit tricky with New England and Las Vegas the next two weeks, but those are home games. But then it's wheels up when he faces the Broncos, the Jets, and the Panthers uh, before the Week 10 bye. Okay, the next guy on the buy side of this week's trade market is a running back on an offense that's on an absolute fire, averaging 18.5 touches per game. And I'm talking about Todd Gurley of the Atlanta Falcons. Not a must-buy, but a buy-low. I think there's people, based on what you're kind of hearing out there, already a little bit disenfranchised with Todd Gurley. And, you know, I can understand to some extent, you know, why the bottom-line fantasy production hasn't been there. But, again, that's why we're here every week of the season is because we're looking at the underlying factors. We're trying to get ahead of these trends, and we're looking to capitalize uh, on these inefficiencies. And look, the Falcons offense is on absolute fire. I want a piece of it. Uh, it's only two and a half targets per game so far for Gurley, but I just think common sense dictates that absolutely has to rise. I, you know, I think Gurley's a guy who's going to become more important in Atlanta as the season progresses and as the competition for the Falcons to make the playoffs grows. Um, in a thin year at this point, at this running back position, I just don't think it hurts to stock up on these guys. And while his snap count is 55%, just like Nick Chubb, and he might be a little bit touchdown dependent uh, this year. I mean, some of the factors we're talking in that made some of these other guys sell highs, uh, you know, you say, well, why, if, if, if Todd Gurley has a similar profile, then why would we ever, if we want to sell the other guys with that profile, why would we, uh, ever be interested in Todd Gurley? Well, it's very simple because it comes down, everybody, you know, uh, has a price tag. It comes down to the price for Todd Gurley. At this point, he's, his price is probably or possibly quite depressed in your league. The opposite of somebody like Nick Chubb. So, you know, it's not that we don't like these players. It's that we want to manage these assets based on how they're performing, based on how they're perceived in the markets in our leagues. And in this situation, uh, Todd Gurley is there's a good chance that he's being undervalued and let's face it I mean Ito Smith and Brian Hill they just plain stink I mean they, he has no legitimate competition and I think there's plenty to go around in Atlanta this year um, like I said I want a piece of that offense and I think Todd Gurley is the piece that you can get right now okay on to one of the sneaky wide receiver buys of the week this is going to be a golden sun a golden son of Roster Watch Nation, uh, and that is uh, oh sweet, sweet Cooper Cup, man. A guy that's been paying dividends for uh, many years for us already. A player I've seen at training camp, gosh, I think three times, and seen him at the Senior Bowl. And um, uh, he is a cherished, cherished golden son of Roster Watch Nation. And uh, it's been a slow start for Cooper Cup. You know, five and a half targets per game, only 60 yards receiving per game. Uh, you know, 9.3 points per game in a half-point PPR format. Um, you know, situationally, I am a little bit concerned about Cooper Cup this year, just with the tight ends getting involved, you know, specifically Higby, but I think Everett's closer to getting more involved here uh, in Los Angeles. Obviously, the rookie Van Jefferson been making waves all summer, slowly getting more involved and looks very capable. I mean, in many ways, a little bit of a Cooper Cup himself, kind of a Cooper Cup meets a Robert Woods uh, as Les Snead and Sean McVay describe it, um, 
adeptly. All of that said, Cooper Cup is technically leading all Rams wide receivers in snap counts right now, um, which, you know, typically he was kind of, you know, it was always very close between Cooks and Woods and Cup, but Cup really was never a starter because the, the uh, starting two wides and two wide receiver sets in Los Angeles, because they do play two tight ends sometimes, was Robert Woods and Brandon Cook. So those snaps were always close. But it is um, interesting to see that Cooper Cup this year technically uh, is leading all Rams wide receivers in snap counts. Um, and he's basically had the same touch opportunity through two weeks as Robert Woods. Uh, he got the two touches on the ground last week, picked up about an extra 20 yards rushing uh, last week. And, you know, look, we should never forget Cooper Cup. I think golf is developing some other options, but no Todd Gurley, who was absolutely one of their biggest red zone threats and one of the guys they relied on in the red zone. Cooper Cup was that other guy. I mean, he's always been uh, Jared Goff's safety blanket and go-to guy in the red zone. We haven't seen it yet. Um, but I think we will with Cooper Cup. I just I, I just see that he's probably going to be a wide receiver too. Or, you know, even better would be is if you could trade for him and make Cooper Cup an awesome wide receiver three on your team. Um, but with that said, if I'm interested right now if I can get a deal on Cooper Cup. And I, I think this is a sneaky spot this week um, where they get the bill. And I expect Tredavious White to be on Robert Woods, which could should open things up for Cooper Krupp across the middle if you see what Mike Gesicki and some of the ancillary players did uh, for the Dolphins in this same matchup last week. I really do think week three is probably a breakout spot uh, for Cooper Cup. And uh, once again, I'm interested in buying low on a Golden Sun. Last but not least, guys I'm not thrilled about, but players we absolutely have to talk about because they are a subject of a lot of discussion and a lot of focus right now um, on the fantasy football trade markets. And that's going to be Christian McCaffrey and Michael Thomas. Um, again, not, not must-buys, only buy lows. These are risky guys to trade for. Um, only 2-0 and o teams can, should consider trading for Christian McCaffrey or Michael Thomas. And once again, not buys. These are only buy lows if, um, you know, if that's a possibility in your league. And um, look, it's high ankle sprains for both of them. Four to six week timetable for Christian McCaffrey. He's gone on the IR, so he's gone for at least three weeks. Uh, you can hope for a little bit better. Not as clear with Michael Thomas what his time frame is, but similar injury. And I guess the good news with Michael Thomas is he's already got – one week of recovery and rehab, uh, you know, in the rearview mirror. But again, traditional season-long trade orthodoxy tells us that we have to at least, you know, consider these guys if we're 2-0. and um, Either guy could obviously make a huge, huge impact down the stretch. Um, you know, traditionally, again, these are only – players you can afford to trade for if you're undefeated, if you're operating from a real position of luxury, like you're already chock full of assets on your bench. And uh, it's really not a huge issue for you to give up what it's going to take for these guys. Because, you know, I think we need to um, remember that, as we always say, the current year is never a repeat in fantasy football of the previous year. We're never here to, you know, 
recreate last year. We're always here to project this season and look ahead. And there's real concerns that the Christian McCaffrey injury could have a Saquon Barkley-like trajectory from last year's. Last year, which in many ways felt like a completely lost season for Barkley and turned out to be a pretty bad strategy if you traded for Barkley early in the season when he got injured. I mean, there were some teams, if you were able to hold him late, he started to pay off super late in your league, um, some dividends in the fantasy playoffs, but it was a long, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a long, uh, difficult year for Barkley and, and, and most people were never able to reap the rewards of that late season production because they traded for Barkley, you know, really too early. And then by the time, if you wait later in the season, uh, their, their owners don't want to trade him because they've already stuck it out for so long. So I just think there's a real risk here, especially on what could be a bad team in Carolina. Um, they may not rush McCaffrey back from this injury. If he does come back, maybe they don't totally, you know, max him out in what could already be a lost season. I think there's real world concerns there and definitely could be, you know, some better options. I don't see this as um, the number. This is not a mandate. I don't see this. I see this down the priority list. But again, you know, traditional trade orthodoxy tells us that, you know, this is the time that undefeated teams start taking a look at players like Christian McCaffrey and, uh, you know, Michael Thomas. And I think with Michael Thomas, a little bit of the same as Christian McCaffrey, um, you know, at least I have a little bit of concern about Drew Brees and the Saints passing offense. Um, not so much that they'll be out of contention and won't need Michael Thomas, but I just wonder if that offense has taken a little bit of a step back. Um, there was a reason that Drew Brees was on the verge of retirement, and I think it's it's bearing itself out pretty early on here because this looks like an Alvin Kamara team in New Orleans this season. Um, you know, but again, I suppose like most other things, this is mostly going to depend on the price tag. And, you know, once again, just remember that any trades for Michael Thomas or Christian McCaffrey are, should be strictly limited to, uh, undefeated, two and O teams. So I always like to end this show every week with some examples of trades that we can make in our leagues, uh, using some of the players discussed here. Um, give you an example for you know how to go about this in your own league, and of course there's other players that certainly could come into play in um, in uh, in your trade discussions. But uh, we'll use the guys that we've talked about here today. So you know, get a lot of questions about uh, uh, quarterbacks, and uh, I, uh, it's rare that we discuss trading for a quarterback because um, uh, you know we'll get to some of the uh, I guess we'll get to some of the um, the most important principles to consider when you're, you know, thinking about uh, making a trade. And you know, one of them is oftentimes that people overpay for quarterbacks in the trade market, and um, that that's certainly something we want to stay away from. You know, that said, we discussed Patrick Mahomes as a real outlier and a very important trade target at the moment. Anytime you can get that guy um, and buy low for him. Uh, you want to do it, but the way that you'll want to go about trading for Patrick Mahomes in the ideal world is you'll take your current your current quarterback and you'll package them with a Mark Ingram or a James Robinson or a Robbie Anderson for Patrick Mahomes. So maybe you've got like a pretty decent like what if I had Tom Brady or maybe even an Aaron Rodgers or one of these guys, um, you know, 
can I package them up with another skill player and do just enough to bump myself up to Patrick Mahomes? I think it's a real possibility. I think it's a real possibility. Uh, certainly, I would also consider if I didn't have a good quarterback option, um, then then I would consider going to Plan B and offering two skill players if I had the depth, if I was two and zero, if I was operating from a position of luxury to be able to pull that off. That's what I would do for Mahomes. But I see too many trades where people trade for quarterbacks and then that moves their starting quarterback to their bench. And it's just it's a waste. It's a it, 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 it's a total waste. Um, you know, we got to be careful about sending starters to our bench. So um, what you really want to do in this situation, if you're going to go after Mahomes, if you've got a decent starting quarterback, you want to take that guy, package him up with one of the other sell highs we discussed today. You know, examples are Mark Ingram, James Robinson, Robbie Anderson, and see if you can get a deal done for Patrick Mahomes. I think you'll be uh, very happy with me later in the season. At least I think that's a good place to start with Mahomes in your league. It's a good way to open discussions, see where things go from there. Uh, we talked about the um, the liquidation trade at the outset of the show. It's probably um, it's, it's, like, it's one of the most frequent configurations of a trade that you'll see out there. We have the consolidation trades. Those are the trades we want to be making the most to strengthen our roster over the entirety of the season. But sometimes we're in a situation where we have to improve our starting roster. And we have holes in our starting roster, and we've got to add more good players to that starting roster. And one of the methods for doing that, in addition to working the waiver wire, is sometimes to work a liquidation trade. So in this case, we outlined... Uh, that Nick Chubb could be an ideal candidate for somebody in this situation. Maybe somebody that's 0-2 with some holes in their starting roster, but they got Nick Chubb and they're trying to figure out what they can do to get back into contention. You don't want to go to 0-3. You don't want to go to 0-4. you got to get a win this week or next week or a couple of wins over the next few weeks to stay in this thing. If you're up against it like that and Nick Chubb is like your primary valuable asset or one of the only real valuable assets on your roster – I think it's perfectly fine to consider liquidating Nick Chubb uh, this week in the fantasy football trade market. But when you do that, you got to keep in mind, anytime you sell a premium or, or elite player, you need to get two starters in return, two good starters in return, preferably two good starters you think you're buying low on in return. And that's how you're going to maximize uh, doing that kind of deal. So the example I've laid out for you guys here today is, you know, I explained that, you know, Todd Gurley, similar uh Similar touches, similar snap count to Nick Chubb, um, probably in a position to get more targets than Nick Chubb over the course of the season. So, you know, we know Todd Gurley is not Nick Chubb, but what if you could trade Nick Chubb for Todd Gurley or Joe Mixon and Cooper Cup right now? And that could give you two guys, two starters that could really help uh, your team maybe get off the schneid or, or um, you know, become more competitive. Look, we every week is important. We got to live for this week in fantasy football. I mean, we always need to try to win this week. You don't want to sacrifice your entire future and roster to do that, but uh, certainly that's not what you would be doing in this case, and um, it's paramount to win this week. So I know it feels kind of slimy to let go of a guy like Nick Chubb, but you can't afford to keep losing if you've gotten off to a tough start. Um, I see no problem with liquidating Nick Chubb if you're getting two quality players in return, like a Todd Gurley and a Joe Mixon, or, or a Todd Gurley or a Joe Mixon in a Cooper Cup. Uh, and then last but not least, let me give you guys an example of um, a traditional consolidation trade here uh, where we're focused on uh, skill players. We're focused on improving uh, 
the entirety of our roster by leveling up. By leveling up, what that means is we're going to take two players, consolidate them, and level up for one better player in return. What that does is that increases the equity at the top of our roster. And then we're going to go to the waiver wire. We're going to cultivate gold off the waiver wire to fill that void that was just left, that roster spot that we cleared. And undoubtedly, we are very confident that we will be able to cultivate players of value off the waiver wire that are equal to or greater than the players that we just shipped off, thereby enhancing the equity from the top to the bottom of our roster, across our entire roster, our starters and our bench. And this is going to help us navigate the attrition of the season, be successful throughout the season, get ready for a playoff run, and then we will have a very special way to leverage this incredible talent-rich depth we will accumulated through the trade market, through the waiver wire at the end of the season. If you guys just stick with me right here every week of the season on the rosterwatch.com tradecast, I'm going to walk you right through it. And I guarantee we're going to have some cartoonish mega lineups when it's all said and done. So last but not least, here is an example of a consolidation trade uh, that uh, I would offer this week if I, uh, if I rostered any of these guys. So why not trade Mark Ingram and Robbie Anderson for Joe Mixon? This is the way that you guys should be thinking. Maybe you could trade Mark Ingram and Robbie Anderson for Todd Gurley. Maybe it's somebody else in your league you've identified, but this is the way that winning fantasy players think every week of the season. So folks, remember, identify your needs. Target losing teams. Always maintain a focus on your starting lineup when considering any deal. Ask yourself, is this rational? Is this trade logical? Does this trade make sense for my team? Have I identified my team needs properly? Am I just buying or am I buying at a discount? Or am I just buying to buy? Am I selling? Am I selling to sell? Or am I selling high? Is this the highest and best trade I can make? Is this the highest and best use of my assets? Is this a good trade or is this the best trade? What is the net fallout from this trade? Where are you noticeably upgrading your roster? What of meaningful value are you giving up? Who does it send to your bench? Does this trade upgrade your starting lineup? Are the guys you're trading for starters on your team? Who are the principals in this trade that you're contemplating? Are you getting the best player in return? Do you even need multiple guys in return? And what are the upcoming schedule for these players? Don't forget we hate overpaying for quarterbacks on the fantasy football trade market that are not named Patrick Mahomes. I thank each and every one of you from the front lines for all of your loyal support. And I ask kindly that you please rate, review, follow, subscribe, and support us here on YouTube on the podcast platform of your choice. And of course, over at rosterwatch.com. Once again, this is Byron Lambert. And on behalf of everyone at rosterwatch.com, we wish you well. And I look forward to joining you again next week. Until then, so long, Roster Watch Nation. 